you by his good conduct let him show his works in meekness of wisdom but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth this is not wisdom that comes down from above but is but is earthly unspiritual demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist <clears throat> there will be disorder and every vile practice but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace the word of the lord be to god please be seated Well, as you know, we are making our way through the book of James. <clears throat> and in chapter 3 of last week, we saw um, that James is <clears throat> convincing many not to be teachers. Now, it was once said, and I forgot who said it first, but it has been said by many people after the first person ever to say it, that if anyone desires to be a politician, <clears throat> then he is the very person who shouldn't be. And I think there is an element of truth to that, that if you desire to be a politician, what reason would you have to take on a role like that? Well, the only reason is if your heart is filled with the desire to serve others. And that, of course, is not always the case. And so, hence the saying, that if, you're, if you desire to be a politician, don't be. Well, I think the same could be said for teachers in the church, that who would really want to be a teacher, given that teachers face a stricter judgment? I mean, when you consider exactly what a teacher is going to go through in the future, who would really want to be one? Well, many people want to teach, and many people, God gives the desire to, to teach, and so there is an element of truth there. But it is also true that many who want to teach shouldn't teach. Uh, Alan McNabb, who you will have probably never heard of, uh, in the UK is recorded as one man who has put more men into ministry than any other man in England, at least in the last, you know, <clears throat> hundred or so years. And I asked him one day about this. I said, did you know that you are regarded as the minister who has put more men into ministry than any other man? He says, I've heard it, but the truth is I have probably kept more men out of ministry than have ever gone in. And his point was that in order to put a man into ministry, you must recognize first, is he able to serve? Well, it seems here that James is having to confront those who have still the desire to be teachers, but again, he's speaking to the congregation at large. But he is drawing attention in this chapter, or at least in this section, between the wisdom they have, which is filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, something anybody in the church should not have, especially if you're going to be a teacher, um, 
because the, the direction that that sends you in is one where perhaps you would be more inclined to make a name for yourself than it would be to serve the people of God that you're called to serve. And James contrasts that wisdom, which is strange to even call it wisdom, with the wisdom that comes from above. Now, at this point, I'm going to uh, sort of not bore those who have already sat through a Sunday school lesson this morning, but at least repeat some of which I have already taught. And that is one of the things that gets overlooked when speaking about the wisdom of God is that people's minds often default to knowledge which is applicable. But the wisdom is God himself. And the reason why wisdom is God himself is because God doesn't turn to a textbook to get wisdom. He doesn't refer to another source to receive wisdom. He doesn't need to go anywhere else to be wise. He himself is wise. And when he acts wisely, he is able to do so because he is wisdom, in the same way he is truth, in the same way that he is love. And so when we understand that God does not rely on anything outside of himself in, in order to be wise, he is wise. And then when we ask ourselves the question, well, where does our wisdom come from? Well, it comes from God, but it doesn't come from God as though it is independent from the God who gives it. In other words, in order for wisdom to work properly in the life of the believer, it cannot work without a close and clean walk with God. And the best illustration of this is Solomon. Solomon is one who is described as the wisest man on earth, but at the same time, the most foolish. And so the question you need to ask yourself is, how is it possible for the wisest man to be the most foolish man at the same time? And it is because the wisdom that he had was rendered ineffectual because of his divided heart. If it was just a textbook that he could, if he could turn to any time he needed to know the right answer, then problem solved. But wisdom never works like that. The way wisdom works is that it is in relation with God who is wisdom. And therefore the wise person uh, is the one who walks a close and clean walk with God, the one whose heart is not divided between God and other people or other things or anything else other than God. His heart is holy on God. And therefore to be truly wise, to truly have the wisdom from above, it is to be in a close and clean walk with God. And if you're not, any wisdom you do have is rendered ineffectual. You just cannot be wise in the congregation. You cannot be wise in the family. You cannot be wise towards your children. You cannot be wise towards your neighbor. You just can't be. Because any wisdom that God has given you is rendered useless because of your divided heart, just like it was in Solomon's life. Solomon was wise and yet not wise. He was wise and yet the most foolish because of his divided heart. And so wisdom is essentially relational. It is what defines in many ways, or at least shapes, my relationship with God. And so as we look at the life of Solomon as a constant reminder of just how much wisdom a person can have and yet how foolish they can be, ask yourself why 
And the answer you will always come back to is because his heart was divided. And so the point that James is making here, you will notice as you read through, is not so much about the application of wisdom. Not once does he say you are able to do this with wisdom, apart from perhaps verse 18. Rather, he's explaining to you the qualities of wisdom compared to earthly wisdom. The wisdom from above is pure and peaceable. It's gentle. It's sincere. But the wisdom from below, this earthly wisdom, is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. In other words, how can you even call that wisdom is another question we need to pursue. So here's the summary. In verse 13, notice James's question. He raises a rhetorical question, but he's not really asking any question. He's making a point in the way that you would expect him to do. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's going to put their hand up to that question? Well, it's rhetorical. And the point that James is making is that he cannot see any evidence amongst the people that he is speaking to that they are indeed wise and understanding. In their own minds, maybe, but not when you standardize it against the wisdom of God. And so the rhetorical question is really a pointed statement. Verse 14, he goes further and he actually says that the wisdom you claim to have is nothing more than bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, who are they jealous over? And bitter jealousy as well. What are they jealous about? Who are they jealous over? Is it because some people have become teachers and they haven't? Possibly, given that that is exactly what James has just taught. But we don't know for sure. And then we have selfish ambition. The seeking of great things for thyself. Remember the words of Jeremiah? Seek great things for thyself. Seek them not. Don't do that. Don't seek great things for yourself. Seek God's things for yourself. Live in the light of what God is doing and accept God's plan and purpose within the life you live rather than seeking your own way and great things for yourself. Difficult though, right? I mean, who doesn't want to seek great things? And this is different from being ambitious. You can be ambitious for the Lord, but don't seek great things for thyself at the expense of other people losing. And so when you read Jeremiah, for instance, that's exactly the context that it's spoken of. Uh, Baruch cannot accept uh, what the Lord is doing. Now in verse 15, James goes on to call this earthly wisdom, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And you'll notice the downward progression as though it is just getting lower and lower and lower to its actual source. It appears on the earth, but it's actually unspiritual. In fact, it's demonic. You just get this downward progression, very similar to the backward progression you have in Psalm 1, who the man walks and then he stands and then he eventually sits. There's this sort of backward progression of, of, of the wrong type of being with the wrong type of people. Instead of moving forward, you, you end up sitting with them. Uh, where you shouldn't be. Well, in the same way, this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom is just sort of taking you down to its source, showing you where bitter jealousy and selfish ambition actually comes from. It does not come from above. It comes from down deep, way down deep. 
down to the demonic realm, so to speak. So why is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition referred to as wisdom? Well, I think for two reasons. The first is the source. That the reason James is striking it the way that he is is because it makes sense to the people who are behaving that way. Therefore, it looks wise in their eyes. It looks like they're able to get what they, what they want. And secondly, not only does it look like they're able to get what they want, they actually believe, have been convinced that they are now wise and understanding. And he'll go on to say that when you compare this to the wisdom which is from above, you're able to see the source of both. Your wisdom is earthly and spiritual demonic, but the wisdom from above comes down to you. And that source is pure and peaceable and sincere. And so James is taking, to us, taking us to the qualities of wisdom, that is, the wisdom from above compared to the wisdom from below. He's not telling us what wisdom does. He's showing us the difference between God's wisdom and earthly and spiritual and demonic uh, wisdom. And so this idea of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition causes dramatic events within the church, in the life of the individual, in the life of a family. In fact, Proverbs puts it this way, that selfish ambition is where one person is willing to win at the expense of somebody else losing. Now, I understand that in the world there are many winners and losers, but to win at the expense of someone else losing, as it says in Proverbs, is a sin. I guess the best or closest example of this would be the lottery, which is not only a zero-sum game, it's a negative zero-sum game because the person who runs it makes money. But the one who wins, wins at the expense of everybody else losing. Well, that's sinful. Because there's no contribution other than the contribution of losing. One wins, but he's, he has done no work. And so this selfish ambition has this type of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, has this type of motivation behind it. I am, I am almost willing to win at the expense of everybody else losing. So everyone else gets walked over. Everyone else gets trodden on. Well, this ought not to be in the fellowship. But this is what they have. And as you go on to read in chapters four, uh, chapter four of James, you begin to see quite clearly that what this selfish ambition actually looks like when it comes to arguments and when it comes to business. You see it over and over again. This is what is present in the congregation. And so the person who wins at the expense of someone else losing is nothing more than a person who is filled with bitter jealousy of what others have that he does not have and selfish ambition. How can he get it even at the expense of others losing? And so notice quite clearly that this isn't about the application of wisdom. This is rather about the qualities of earthly wisdom compared to the wisdom which is from above. Do not be filled with earthly wisdom, but ask God who gives generously to all for the wisdom that comes from above. And so the wisdom which comes down, verse 17, uh, from above is contrasted against the earthly wisdom. 
the fallen wisdom. And the heavenly wisdom is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And what does that produce? Well, it doesn't produce bitter jealousy and it doesn't produce selfish ambition. Rather, it produces a harvest of righteousness, which is sown in peace by those who make peace. And those who make peace are those who are then able to keep the peace. But those who try and keep the peace without making peace often end up um, having peace at almost at any price, which is something you cannot do. Peace first has to be made in righteousness before it can ever be kept in the home or in the church. And so I only have two headings this morning in order to sort of push this out further than what we've looked at already. And it's this, diagnosis and solution. What leads to disorder and what leads to righteousness within a church, within a family, within a marriage, within any form of relationship that you can think of. So notice what James does under diagnosis. James gets them to look at the question for themselves. Who is wise in understanding among you? And the reason he does this is because he wants to show the church that if change is going to happen in the church or in a marriage or in any other form of relationship, it must first happen to you. You're in the marriage. You're in the church. I want my church to be different. Well, you need to be different. I want my marriage to be different. Okay, but you need to be different. And so James is getting you to look at you. Because the change you want to see is first a change you have to be willing to accept in yourself. That you must change in order for those relationships to change. Now, of course, if you get the diagnosis wrong, you get the solution wrong. And so what is actually the problem? Well, the signs of someone being truly wise and truly understanding are not present in those who are claiming it. They claim to be wise, they claim to be understanding, and when you look for the corresponding fruit, all you get is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And so the wisdom that they claim to have is not a wisdom that gives true understanding of the situation. But if you have this sort of bitter jealousy and this selfish ambition, James says, you're even being false to the truth. You're not even truthful with yourself. If you seek great things for yourself and you've been told to seek them not, then you're not even being truthful with yourself. And the thing is, is that when people want something really bad, really bad, just like we learned in Psalm 73, that when someone wants something really bad, they are even willing to lie to themselves and hope that one day it'll be true. It won't be. It just won't be. I've, listen, I've ministered to enough people and seen enough relationships to even see that a wife will plead for her husband to tell, him, tell her that she loves him over and over again, even under false pretenses, just so that she can comfort herself. It's a false comfort. But when you want it so badly, you're even willing to hear it under false pretenses. Well, that's Psalm 73. Just, I just, when, I, when I want something so badly, I am no longer clear about the conditions under which I want it. 
And that's what bitter jealousy and selfish ambition looks like in marriages and families and churches. So what is the sign of someone actually being wise and understanding? Well, it's, it's good conduct. It's good works. It's done in the meekness of wisdom. The person who is silently strong, confident in the Lord, able to actually sow peace into any disordered situation, into any kind of broken relationship, into any area of disruption. The peacemakers are the one who go into disorder. They don't walk away from it because they recognize that God deserves to be worshipped. And in an area like that, God is not being. And so the application of wisdom is, of course, this righteousness which comes. But people who are false to the truth, it's very hard to get them to the bottom, very hard to get them to see the bottom of the issue, that the actual truth, the, the area where they're actually going wrong because at the heart of it there's just an absence of obedience to God's word there's an absence of humility that even once you have read God's word you're not even willing to accept it because you're still willing to believe false things in the hope that they might be true and of course you're never at the place where you're going to be doing good works so the real issue here is not that they're wise and understanding. The real issue is that they're not even practicing the truth. Those who are claiming to be wise and understanding are actually the very people who are not practicing the truth. And this is why there is disorder. This is why there is disorder in the church here in James. This is why there is disorder in a marriage or a family or in work relationships. The reason for the disorder will always come back to the truth that the persons are not practicing the truth in love towards each other. So what is the solution to people who claim to be wise and understanding when they are actually not practicing the truth? Well, James says, the wisdom of God, which comes from above, is first pure. It is then peaceable, gentle, listen to these, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And therefore, just look at it this way. If that's what wisdom is, what do you think a person becomes if they have that wisdom from above? Because James isn't talking about what you do with it. He's talking about the quality of it. So if the wisdom from above is first pure, what do you think you become if you have that wisdom? If it's peaceable, what do you think you become in light of that wisdom? If it is gentle, what does that look like in you? If it is open to reason, how do you handle arguments? What does that look like in you? If it is full of mercy, what does that look like when you are talking and dealing with difficult people? If it is producing good fruits, what does that look like? Impartial and sincere. In other words, if you really have received the wisdom which is from above, then the fruit of the source should be evident in the church. And it's not, because you're being false to the truth. And so the person who has received the wisdom from above is a person who will be like the wisdom from above towards the people that they are with. 
showing us that the solution here to truly being wise and understanding is to have wisdom from above rather than the wisdom from below. Is to have what God wants for you and for others rather than what you want for yourself or others not to have. It is to be motivated by God's wisdom. And so the solution that James gives to us or these people is that isn't it interesting that people who claim to be wise are the very people who are not wise. The very people who claim to have understanding are the very people who don't have understanding. But the very people who are not claiming and are just producing good conduct and good fruit and good works and are like this, they don't have to claim because it's evidence in the way that they live. And I've often said, and I can perhaps relate to it more now that I'm in the, the home of basketball, that I never played basketball a lot when I was growing up. In fact, I don't remember playing a lot of sport when I was growing up because I spent a lot of time in the water. And the standard, uh, standard is that if you remove the hoop and I'm just throwing a basketball all day, I can convince myself that I'm great. But the moment you put there, all illusions of being great quickly disappear. Because not only can I not even get it in the hoop, I can't even get it that far. I just don't know how it works. And so you begin to realize that the moment you see yourself in light of an objective standard, the wisdom from above, only then, only then, are you able to see where you're failing. And so James introduces the wisdom from above to demonstrate to this church what they cannot see. You can't point out to someone where they are, where they are. You have to point out to them where they should be. And once you have done that, they are then able to see where they are in light of where they should be. And this is exactly what James does when he brings in the wisdom from above. And such people, as James is doing here, are the type of people that we are to become. Why? Because we are the peacemakers. You are the peacemakers the moment you sow peace in an area of disorder, whether it be the church, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a family. As you sow peace, the harvest of righteousness is produced in wisdom. And of course, a peacemaker is not a peacekeeper. Once you've made peace, you then have to keep the peace. You then have to endeavor to keep the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. But there's plenty of people out there that'll seek to keep the peace with lots of compromises. What is fellowship? Well, it's two men in a boat and don't rock the ship, right? Well, that's not fellowship. True fellowship is how are, we, how are we living together in a way where we can understand that our differences must be resolved because if they're not, we cannot simply agree to disagree. That's not fellowship. We can't simply, as the British would say, we can't simply agree to disagree and then have a cup of tea. We just, just can't do that. True fellowship is where you're sowing peace so that a harvest of righteousness would be produced in the life of whatever relationship it is that we are speaking about. Here, it just so happens to be the church. 
So who is wise and understanding? Well, it's the one who sows peace. It's the one who sows peace into an area of disorder. And so the, pro the problem is, or rather the problem that James is solving, is that the very people who are claiming to be wise are shown to be not wise. They are actually part of the problem. And the very people who are wise are the ones who sow peace, producing a harvest of righteousness. Sometimes you just cannot tell people what to do. They just don't learn that way. You just have to show them how to do it. And sometimes people are willing to learn and sometimes they are not. And it is not possible to point out to someone their error by showing them their error. You have to show it in light of what it should be, which is exactly what James does here. So let me conclude. Doug Wilson says this, and it's one of the things that I've never forgot because I like it a lot. And he says that when the doctor gets the diagnosis wrong, the patient dies. That when the doctor gets the diagnosis wrong, the patient dies. Think about that. Who wants to be a teacher? Who wants to be in the position where they could get the diagnosis wrong of relationships and family and marriages and the church? And then out of that, offer the wrong solution. Who wants a job like that? Well, the people who shouldn't have that role are those who are filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. They should be kept from it. But diagnosing the problem is only half the issue. And I've met plenty of people, and I'm sure you have, who can diagnose the problem with great clarity and not only diagnose the problem with great clarity, they can even tell you what you need to do. But they themselves do nothing. The real issue at hand here is not the diagnosis, it's the solution. Because even if you get the diagnosis, you still have to be the one to understand what is the solution. What do I do now that I know what the problem is? And the problem with those who do not practice the truth or those who are false to the truth, as James puts it, is that they have to be met with those who sow peace and the harvest of peace producing righteousness. The peacemaker is the one who does the word. He is not a hearer only. The peacemaker is the one who does the word because he understands that to know the right thing to do and then fail to do it, for him it is a sin. It's not enough simply to be able to diagnose the problem clearly. You've got to be able to be the one who can produce the solution. You've got to be the one who can actually do the word that you know that needs to be done. And without those type of people in the congregation, and I hope and pray that you all desire to be that person, without that, the church will be nothing more than an area of disorder. The home will be nothing more than an area of disorder. Marriages likewise, workplaces likewise. And so you, as you go out into the world, in the very workplace where you work, in the very marriages that you have, in the very families that you live within, you could be the one person that brings about a harvest of righteousness by being the one person who humbly comes before God, asking for the wisdom which is from above, 
so that you can sow peace and have that harvest of righteousness in the area in which you're addressing. That's what James is saying. And that's what you want. But you won't get it if you only hear. You only get it if you do. So it is true, and I'll finish with this. It is generally true that people know more than what they do. It is generally true that people know more than what they do. But it is equally true that people cannot do more than what they know. You cannot do more than what you know. And therefore it is necessary that you know, but it is equally necessary that you follow up what you know with doing. As James says, you're called to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we ask of you this morning that we would be a people who are willing to always see our life and our conduct and our thoughts and our words and our deeds in the light of your word. We pray, Father God, that by your word you would enlighten our mind to forever renew our heart and our way of life and our practices that we may glorify you. And we would also ask, Father God, that as we sit here today, that we would recognize that we are the very people who can sow peace and make peace. In Jesus' name, amen.